Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Okay, there we go. Is that better? Okay, great. Okay, so my name is Jason. Um, I want to tell you how much I love this church. Uh, this church means so much to me. You guys don't even know. I, I pray for you all the time. And John Blue is just a dear friend of mine. Uh, I've become a huge fan of this guy right over here, Eddie. You guys love Eddie? Yeah. He's a good guy, isn't he? So just, just um, last week or two, was it a week and a half ago? A week and a half ago, I was having one of those weeks. You ever have one of those weeks? In the same week, my car broke down. I spent all day getting it towed. I spent all day arguing with people at the Subaru dealer. And then I went to my, my daughter's phone blew up. And of course, it was three weeks out of warranty. You know, they give you one year. And it was one year and three weeks. So now you got to buy the daughter a new iPhone. Then we had a slab leak. And then I got in a fight with my worship leader. And then uh, someone that is like one of the closest people in all my ministry to me. We had a major blow up. First time ever I've ever felt disrespected by them. And I was just like, man, what is going on? I had a problem with my own kids. I had a problem with my own marriage. I had all this stuff happening. And I was just ready. To, and then I was, uh, last week, all last week, I, I spent the week speaking up at Forest Home. At, at, a, at a camp, and we saw like a hundred kids get saved, you guys, last Tuesday night. It was incredible, incredible. But before that, like, I knew, like, I was under heavy attack because I knew I was going to speak up there. And um, I just knew, man, I am just going to get so, I'm, I'm getting so wrecked. What is this? You ever feel like you're just drowning in that? And all this was happening, and then right before I left for Forest Home, I said, oh, gosh, I better check in with Eddie because right after Forest Home, I'll be here and I need to check in with Eddie and talk to him for a sec about what do I need to know for speaking and blah, blah, blah. So I get on the phone with Eddie. Now, one minute in, this man starts just sharing his heart like he does and sharing the love of God and sharing Jesus. And I can't tell you, you guys, I can't tell you what it did to my spirit. And he didn't know it. He wasn't trying to do anything. You know, Eddie wasn't trying to do anything. And he wasn't like trying to say like, oh, look how spiritual I am. Or he wasn't trying to say like, oh, watch what I say to Jason to impress him. Nothing like that at all. As common and as normal of a phone call as Eddie would ever have. And he's just talking to me, being himself. And my heart melted. My heart melted. And I thought, and I told him, I said, Eddie, you have no idea, man. I didn't tell him any of the stuff I just told you. I just said, you have no idea what kind of week I had. And I'm talking to you for 30 seconds and I'm ready to just cry, man, because I can tell you've been with Jesus. And just hearing your voice and how encouraging you are, man, I am lifted up. And so thank you, man of God. Eddie, I appreciate you, man. You're awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. So good. Okay, do you guys want to know uh, a little of my story? Is that okay? And I know I preached at, uh, I preached at Pacific Point a few times here, and I might tell a couple of the same stories because I forget which stories I tell sometimes. Is it okay if I tell the same story once or twice? All right, and if I do... Yeah, and, and that's, what, that's what people told me. Oh, John tells the same story every week. So, okay. Um, no, so, so uh, here I was, um, uh, growing up a young kid, 
Uh, I actually got saved at Forest Home as a freshman in high school, wanted to serve the Lord, got involved in youth ministry really quick, and then I was a drummer, and God called me to give up my talents for him, so instead of like using them for the world, like I was in these bands that were playing like satanic music, and God called me to use, up, use my talents for him right when, right when I got saved. God spoke to me and said, Jason, you're for me or against me, and I'm like, you know, I was raised in the church, church meant Nothing to me. God meant nothing to me. I was raised, my mom drugged me and my two sisters to church, and I went because I had to go, but for me, church was just a cool place to meet girls. That was it, okay? Like, I, I didn't want anything to do with God, and then in the middle of a worship song, at Forest Home, God got a hold of me and said, Jason, you're for me or against me, and right there at this place called Mirrors Lodge in the high school camp above the lake at Forest Home, I, I surrendered everything to Jesus, and I said, God, you have my heart, you have my life, and I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And then he said, well, I want you to use your, your drumming for me now. And I'm like, well, how's that going to work? Because Christian music doesn't exist. And I was like, uh, you know, I, I don't know anyone in a Christian band. And how can I use my talents for God if, I'm, if there's no Christian bands anywhere near me? One week later at youth group, exactly one week later, a guy comes up and says, Jason, you want to be in a Christian band? And I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and so, um, so this guy says, yeah, well, we're in this band called HFC. And I said, what does HFC stand for? And he said, Honkies for Christ. Uh, and I said, hard pass. No, I, I was like, I was like, okay, uh, what does that even mean? You know, so these guys were brand new Christians. They're a bunch of drug heads, full druggy guys that just got saved. They're in high school and they just got saved. They surrendered their lives to Jesus also. They wanted to play for God. And they're in this band called Honkies for Christ. And so I said, well, let's change the name and let's see if we can do some ministry. And sure, sure enough, that band, after a while, got going and we became the Supertones. And then God used us to like, you know, go all over the world and spread his love and spread his message. And God is just faithful. And so at the height of the band, we were co-headlining with like Jars of Clay and Newsboys and, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman and all the biggest bands in the industry. We were like, a, a, you know, headlining festivals and doing all this stuff. It was like, it couldn't have been better. And I was the leader of the band. And I thought, I'll never quit this thing. I'll be going longer than Petra, like that kind of thing, you know. And so, so I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to go longer than anyone. And right at the height of the band, God calls me out of the band. And I'm like, what are you doing, God? And he says, I'm, I'm giving you your heart's desire. I'm taking you out of this season of evangelism. And I'm going to put you in a local church for discipleship. And I'm like, okay, God, so... Uh, One-fourth the pay uh, for 11 kids in a small little non-youth building and uh, no budget and, you know, no opportunity for real growth. And uh, that's, and we're in portable trailers. And I'm like, cool, God, <laughs> this is awesome. And so, but sure enough, I was like, okay, I trust you, Lord. I don't know what you're doing. So I became a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for like 15 years. And it was awesome. And that, that youth group just grew and there was about, you know, 200 kids in the, in the heyday of it. We had about 40 leaders constantly serving and giving everything to Jesus. It was amazing. God was doing that. And then right at the peak of the youth group, when everything was clicking and I said, I'm going to be a youth pastor for life, guess what God said again? Nope. I've got a new plan for you. I'm calling you out of youth ministry into adult ministry. I don't, I don't want to be in adult ministries. God, youth, youth are more fun. And so, so uh, he said, no, I'm calling you out. So I started being involved in adult ministries. And sure enough, my pastor took me under his wing and he was grooming me to, to be his successor. And I was going to be uh, the senior pastor. There was like a three to five year plan. 
to be the senior pastor of this church that I was at. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, now I have a, plat, a path. Now I have a plan. Now life makes sense. Isn't it nice when life makes sense, everybody? Right? Should I use a handheld? This thing keeps slipping out. Or is it okay? Oh, leave it down. Okay, great. All right, so, so, um, so, I'm, so I'm going now uh, as adult ministry. I'm getting trained, all this stuff. And not three weeks in, my senior pastor comes into me and says, hey, Jason, uh, I wanted to tell you this first. I'm actually going to be leaving the church after 27 years, and I'm going to be taking a really big position at a Christian college. And I'm like, oh, really? So what happens to that three to five year succession plan? A new guy came in, an interim. Uh, the church went through all kinds of financial problems. Long story short, another church came in, and it was supposed to be like a merge, but it was more like a takeover. And, you know, church can sometimes be nasty and ugly and messy and all that stuff. So the old, we had a full staff on our church, and then they had a full staff, and trying to have two youth pastors, two executive pastors, two senior pastors, two worship leaders, it doesn't always work, right? And so a lot of, the, a lot of us got kind of, you know, put aside or shelved or however you want to say it. And I'm sitting there like, God, what are you doing? I thought there was a plan here. I thought like you had a calling on my life and this church that I love more than anyone in the whole church, I was at that church longer than anyone that was currently there on staff. And I thought I love this church more than anyone. And I thought this was the plan. And the whole time I'm just waiting. And then I felt like I wasn't used. And then I felt like I wasn't you know, being used by God. Pretty soon, I used to preach like all the time, at least once a month. And then out of nowhere, I wasn't preaching at all. Like I was preaching like once a year, if lucky. And then sometimes I was just doing announcements once a month. And I'm like, what am I doing at this church? God, really? Did you bring me this far? Is this what I'm here for? And I remember going on the beach. I go down to San Clemente. I go to this beach called Riviera. And there's usually no one there in the winter. And I remember going on a stormy February and it was like so dark, the clouds were so dark and it was just me and my wife on the whole beach and I got so mad, I like started walking off by, on my own and I was yelling at God. First time in my life I've ever yelled at God. And I said, why have you forsaken me? Words that I thought would never come out of my mouth. Doesn't that, I mean, right? I mean, you guys read the Bible, you grow up maybe in, in, in church and you think to yourself like, yeah, nobody said, you shouldn't say, why have you forsaken me? Because you know God never leaves you or forsakes you, right? And then here I am yelling for the first time in my whole life, God, why have you forsaken me? And I was just so broken, I didn't know what he was doing. And I remember God not giving me the answer, but saying, hold on. And I'm like, hold on, what do you think I've been doing? That's like my story my whole life. All I do is hold on. And, you know, another couple of weeks went by and it was just brutal and I'm just miserable. My wife knew I was miserable. My friends knew I was miserable. Uh, other people that were part of my life knew I was miserable. What are you doing, God? And so, uh, sure enough, um, at the church I was at, the one that was having a takeover, the senior pastor and I were kind of button heads on, on almost everything. Like, we didn't see eye to eye. And I was just feeling so discouraged and so unused and beat down. And it was just like, oh, gosh. Three months before that incident, three months, he had asked me if I would go to some conference with him. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, like I said, yes, three months ago. But now I'm like, I don't even want to be at this church anymore. I need to go somewhere else. I need God to use me. I was like, just, I was so wound up and so frustrated. And I'm like, oh, gosh. So the, the three months passed and I got a text from him. I, I almost forgot about it. He says, hey, we're still going to that conference this Tuesday. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't want to go to a conference. And then, do you know, after 
after that, I had all these guys come and pray over me. And uh, all these guys prayed that, like, God would just give me the answer. And I remember the chains falling off my life. I remember feeling so set free. I remember feeling like, wow, God, you're really up to something here. But I still didn't have an answer. And the very next morning, I'm sitting in my normal spot downstairs with all the kids asleep upstairs. I'm sitting in my spot, reading a chapter of the Bible. No fireworks, no worship music plan, no goosebumps or chills, nothing like that. And in the middle of me just reading a chapter in the Bible, while it's still dark outside, probably 5 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, I heard the audible voice of God say, Jason, I'm calling you to plant a church. And I was like, oh, nope, that's not you, God. Keep reading. <laughs> and I started reading again. I wanted to blow it off. I wanted to ignore it. And sure enough, I'm reading. And once again, Jason, I'm calling you to plant a church. And I was terrified. That's the last thing I wanted. Church planters are crazy. Church planters are lunatics. People that need to be locked up. I mean, church planters, like, they're just, they're a mess. I don't want anything to do with this. Right? You guys know your own pastor, don't you? Okay. And so... So I'm telling you, I was so, like, just mad. Like, no, God, anything but that. I have a plan. Like, I, I was supposed to be a senior pastor, but I'd rather just go into an established church or I'd rather this situation gets worked out. Just give me something else, God. Give me anything else. I don't want to plan a church. God, give me peace that night. Talked to three of my best friends around a campfire. We sat there and talked all the way past midnight. Just about, my, my buddy said, Jason, God is going to give you everything you need. You don't have to fear about anything. He's going to lead you every step of the way. And I'm thinking, yeah, but this is impossible, man. Like, what, what, what am I going to do? What, what's the name of the church going to be? And, and the name of the church is important. How am I going to know what the name of the church is? And, and who's going to come? And, and what, what am I going to do? Am I going to be responsible for all these families? And what about their kids? Like, am I going to be responsible for the spiritual well-being of the kids of these families? And I don't want to, I'm not senior pastor material, and I don't know how to plant a church, and I, I'm not equipped. I don't know anything about this. I had a hundred questions. And again, my friend just said, Jason, hold on. God's going to take care of you. He's going to give you everything you need. And it was about 1230 or almost one o'clock, and I saw my watch, and I'm like, you guys, unfortunately, I got to go. This night's been awesome. I got to go because tomorrow morning at like 7 a.m., my pastor is picking me up to take me to this conference that I don't want to go to, right? And I'm like, I, I so didn't want to go. And now God called me to plant a church. Why would I go to a conference with this pastor that I'm butting heads with, right? Does that make sense to you guys? I'm just like, I'm going to call and cancel him. I'm going I'm to call this guy and say, I'm not going with you. God's got a new direction for my life, right? And sure enough, the Holy Spirit's like, don't cancel and I'm like, why not, God? Right? Don't cancel. I said, okay, I won't cancel. And so uh, he picks me up at 7. We start driving up to Santa Ana. And I'm like, uh, so I said, I said to this, this guy that I was already having trouble connecting with, I said, so what conference are we going to? And he says to me, I kid you not, I actually don't know. You want to look it up on the Internet? And I'm like, what? God just called me to plant a church, and you don't know what conference you're taking me to, and I don't want to be in this car right now? Like, are you kidding me? And so I look it up. I'm like, okay, what is it? He tells me, it's, oh, it's Mission OC. Type it in, Mission OC. Okay, Mission OC. And then I type up the conference. Guess what kind of conference it was, people? A church 
planting conference. And guess who was leading the whole conference, everybody? Johnny Blue. And I'm sitting there like, are you kidding, God? And so I pull into this place, and it's this intimate setting. There were 18 people that were interested in church planting, and I was one of them. And the guy I went with and myself shouldn't have even been there, right? Or should we have? And so we get going, and I'm like, every si John starts talking. Every single question, word for word, verbatim, that I was asking my buddies at the fire pit the night before, Every, the hundred questions I had, John gets up and he's saying, you might be asking yourself, what's the name of your church going to be? You might be asking yourself, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to take care of these families? How are you going to be responsible for these kids? You might be asking yourself. And I'm like, okay, God, you got my attention. I'm listening. And sure enough, God took care of the rest. John Blue found out uh, I was in the band and he decided to take me under his wing. He decided to, like, right then and there on that first day, like, he met me. He says, hey, man, I, I want to make myself available to you. If you want to come into our offices, he was working with a guy named Chris Lagerloff at the time. You want to come into our me and Chris, we'll talk with you, we'll meet with you, we'll pray with you, we'll encourage you if you have any questions. And I'm like, are you kidding? Two of the top guys in the entire industry of Southern California of, of church planning are, are offering me, on a silver platter, private lessons, Right? And I did. I went up there and I met with those guys all the time and they just paved the way. And that's how Encounter Church was birthed about nine years ago. And I want to tell you that your pastor <laughs> is one of the most special people in the world to me. And I owe him my life. And uh, uh, yeah, praise God. I want to tell you and, uh, and his wife is better than him, isn't he? Isn't she? Yeah. John and Chris mean so much to my wife and I. And John has always been there for me. You know, and life's not easy. Ministry's not easy. I, these last, you know, nine years, it hasn't been easy. I mean, God, I, that's why I didn't want to get into this church planting business. God attacks church plant, or not God, sorry, Satan. The enemy attacks church planters like you wouldn't believe. And so uh, I've just been... Every time, John's on speed dial. I mean, he's on my favorites on the iPhone, and it's just like you can just call John, and he's always there, willing to meet, willing to take me out to lunch. The man is an awesome God, man of God, but I know he's an awesome pastor, and he's come to encounter. Last year, I had my first sabbatical in 32 years of ministry, and uh, last year, we met on Sunday nights, and John came to encounter three Sundays in a row, three Sunday nights. He came here and preached in the morning. And he went there three Sunday nights in a row. That's the kind of pastor he is. And so he texted me and said, hey, Carson. You know, you like my impression of him? Carson. Okay, I, that's not even good. Okay, but, but he says, he says, Carson, can you come and uh, preach at Pacific Point? And I'm like, um, then I'm kind of like guarded. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'd have to get someone to get coverage for me at Encounter. And what a big deal that is. And I start thinking like, you know, and I didn't know. He gave me a couple dates and I said, I can't do two, John. I can only do one because it would be too hard to get coverage. And I'm saying all this stuff. I didn't even know he was taking a sabbatical. And so then I find out later he's taking a sabbatical. And I feel like the biggest jerk on the world because I was only offering one. And he came and did three for me. And I'm like, man, I suck. John's awesome. Anyway, that's, that's, I want to end this story and keep moving. Okay, is that okay? All right, so that's, that's my story of John Blue. He's awesome. Uh, 
and I hear that it's his first sabbatical, and I got to tell you guys, listen, let me take just a minute to say this. Listen, you have such an awesome pastor. You don't even know it. Don't take it for granted. Don't take for granted what an awesome pastor you have. You should be rejoicing, doing cartwheels and jumping jacks down the street because your pastor's on sabbatical right now. Some people take the approach like, oh, why does he get this time off? Isn't this his job? I don't get a sabbatical in my line of field. Listen, please don't ever think that, say that, approach that. That is of the, the enemy. And I'm telling you right now, godly wise, like John has put in so much time and has poured out so much for him to have a sabbatical. It is biblical. It is a, a time to set, set back and say, like, God, I want your heart. And he is going to come, like he texted me just uh, yesterday and said, tell the people that I love them. I can't wait to get back together. So excited for what the next season is for Pacific Point. And he's just going to come back so rested and on fire. Um, can I challenge you, everybody? Yes? Yeah. Give me a show of hands. Can, who wants to be challenged? Who will write John a card to say how much you appreciate him as, as your pastor? Who will do that? And don't raise your hand if you don't mean it. But who will, who will like some, at some point, write a card and say, John, I appreciate you being my pastor. Here's why. Here's what you meant to my life. I'm telling you, if, if five of you do it, this will be worth it. If 10 of you do it, this will be awesome. If half of you do it, this will be epic. This will be such a blessing to him. So I encourage you to do it right that. All right, we should get going here. I haven't even started my message, Eddie. Here we go. All right. I only got 70 more minutes, stupid pastor joke. Okay, there we go. All right, do you ever feel like you're drowning, people? All right, just like I just shared that story, I felt like I was drowning. I felt like I was drowning without a lifeline. I, you know, life hits you so hard on so many levels. I don't know if it's health stuff. I don't know if it's mental stuff. I don't know if it's relationship stuff. I don't know if it's sin stuff. But sometimes you just feel in this chaotic world that we live in like you are drowning. I want to take you to the story of Peter. You guys, it is a very familiar story. I know you've heard this, but we're going to go to the Sea of Galilee this morning, all right? I've been there. Has anybody been to the Sea of Galilee? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, a couple people. Okay, Sea of Galilee is unbelievable. It's just amazing. It's just, if you can imagine, it's, it's almost like there's this uh, perfect God-created uh, tunnel that comes down. It's like it's surrounded by two high mountains. If you remember the story of the pigs that went down the mountain that you know, sent the demons down. You can see that mountain that, that is talked about in Scripture when you're on the Sea of Galilee. It's unbelievable. But there's two mountains, and it's like a, a perfect wind tunnel that comes down, which sometimes creates in the Sea of Galilee storms. And so I know you're used to thinking of a lake or a sea not really having storms, but in these two passages we're going to look at today, there were some pretty incredible storms. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. And I think we got it on the screen as well, if you need it there. And so we're going to read two stories on the Sea of Galilee, both of which Jesus was trying to get a message to his disciples. And here it is. Verse 23 says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So Jesus was in the boat with them, right? And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped. Or in other translations, the actual uh, Greek there is, is enveloped. The boat was being enveloped. By waves. But he was asleep. Are you guys paying attention? The boat was being enveloped and swamped by waves. Enveloped? All the way over. And Jesus was what? 
catching some Z's, right? I mean, unbelievable. And so these disciples, they went to him, duh, saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. Other translations, we're going to drown. Other translations, we are going to die. Um, how many of you hate being woken up rudely? Anybody? <laughs> you, no, none of you? What's wrong with you people? You people are crazy at Pacific Point. Don't you hate being woken up rudely? Has anyone ever ripped the curtains open and that bright sun hits you in the eyes and like, why would someone do that to you? It's so rude, right? So you hate being woken up rudely. I can imagine Jesus asleep in the bow, just all peaceful, and Peter just right in his face like, Jesus, we're going to die. <laughs> save us, right? And that's what was happening. They awoke him screaming in his face, saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. We're going to drown. We're going to die. And then Jesus said to them, like, can you imagine he like kind of gets up and just kind of leans against the edge of the boat in the middle of the storm? He says, why are you so afraid? You of little faith. Continuing. Then he came and Jesus rose up and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You fast forward six chapters to Matthew 14. We see our second encounter on the Sea of Galilee. Same location, same boat, this time without Jesus. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 people. There were, oh, the whole town was buzzing that they've got a Savior that they think is the Messiah. I mean, this is Jesus. And Jesus sends the disciples ahead without him onto the Sea of Galilee. And they go into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, theologians believe it was about three miles from shore. Okay, three miles, and Jesus is up on a mountain praying, and he can see them from the mountain, Mark's gospel tells us. And here in verse, 14, uh, verse 22 in chapter 14, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before them to the other side, and when he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, again, about three miles out. And watch this, beaten by the waves, again, another storm hits the Sea of Galilee. For the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, Jesus, walking on the sea. And no one is impressed by that in this room. <laughs> Jesus was walking on the sea. I, I want you to imagine someone walking on the ocean. How you doing, man? What's your name? Joey. J Joey? Joey. Joey, stand up real quick. If Joey was just out with all of you on a boat and you saw Joey start to walk on the sea, would it be a big deal? Yeah. Or would you sit there like you just did when I told you Jesus was walking on the sea? Okay, would you be like, Joey, what are you doing, man? How are you doing this? Is it a magic trick? What's happening, right? It would be a big deal that Joey's walking on the sea. You can have a seat. I'm so thank you, brother. Okay, but like it would be a big deal, right? Huge. And Jesus is walking on the sea. So what do the disciples do? They're like, oh, cool, there's Jesus. No, it says that they were terrified. Would you be? When we read this story, we know the answer and we know the ending. But like, terrified if you saw some dude cruising on the water in the middle of the storm. I'd be like, ah, ah freak out, right? And, and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and he said, Take heart, it is I, 
do not be afraid. And then Peter answered him. Don't you love Peter, you guys? <laughs> this guy, man. I get this guy. Always opening his mouth. Always sticking his foot in his mouth. Always wanting to do the right thing, but always screwing up. Yes? I get this guy. Peter's my guy. Peter's my number one Bible guy. I get him. All right, so Peter speaks up and answers, and he yells out. No, go back one. Go back one. There, there it is. Okay, so Peter speaks up, and he answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. <laughs> what? <laughs> would you say that? You know who else wouldn't say that? The other 11 disciples in the boat. And Jesus is, and, and Peter's like, yeah, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you. Like, did Peter even think about what he was saying? What did he think the outcome would be? Now, Joey stood up. He believed he could walk on the water. But, like, I don't think Peter thought he could really, did he really think he could come on the water? And so then, look at this, and don't turn the slide yet, but look what verse 29 says. So Jesus says to Peter, one word. I mean, this is, this just messes me up so much, you guys. Um, you put yourself in the situation. You're one of the disciples in the boat, or you're Peter you're himself, and you're sitting on the boat, and Peter just foolishly says, hey, hey Jesus, if it's you, tell me, to, tell me to come to you. Start walking on the water. Like, I can do that too. Nobody's ever done this before. Nobody's ever seen this before. They thought it was a ghost one second ago. And he says, tell me to come to you. And then Jesus is like, come. One word, come. I mean, you know how I would have preferred it? Just like my church planning story when I was stuck in that o at the ocean and I was like yelling at God, why have you forsaken me? You know how I would have preferred Jesus to answer me if I asked him, hey, Lord, if you're really calling me to plant a church, tell me how to do it. Or if you're, or tell me, tell me to come to you on the water, Jesus. I would have preferred Jesus to say, all right, Jason, check this out. Here's what's going to happen. Do you see me? I'm walking on the water. And I'm going to somehow give you the power to walk in the water also. So what I want you to do, Jason, is like, Grab hold of the boat, okay? Get, get real good hold of the boat, Jason. And once you feel like your feet are safe, Jason, then and only then try to lift one leg over the boat. Okay, so then, but don't put all your weight on the water yet because I don't want you to be scared, Jason. I want you to take it nice and slow. So just like keep all your weight on your left leg where it's in the boat, where it's safe, where you know what's happening, where you're in control. Like keep your leg there, Jason. You'll be okay if you just keep your leg in the boat. And then... Swing the other leg over. But again, don't put your weight on the ocean. Like, hold on to the edge of the boat, Jason, so that you know you're in control and that you'll be okay once I finally let you walk on the water. And then, and only then, when you're ready, Jason, when you feel good, when you have all the good energy in you, then I want you to let go of the boat and, and I'll start letting you walk on water. And Jesus is like, nah. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, Jason, come. Isn't that amazing? Let's continue in this story here. It says this next. Continuing verse 29. So Peter, he got, gets out of the boat and he walks on the water to Jesus. But when Peter, so, oh, by the way, we just broke, breezed through that pretty fast. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. Joey's impressed. Why aren't you guys impressed? Joey knows how hard it is to walk on water. Why aren't you? Okay, so look, you guys, he got out of the boat, and he walked. What would you be like if you were one of the disciples? Would you be like, what's happening? 
I know Jesus could do it, but how is Peter doing it? He's one of us. He's an idiot, <laughs> and he's walking on the water. How is he doing it? He's walking on the water to Jesus. And I can imagine Peter's just going, and he's all in. He's just, he has faith. And he says, like, okay, the Lord told me to come. Jesus. Then verse 30 happens. When he, when Peter saw, mm, our eyes are so great, aren't they? What a blessing. When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. So he's, you imagine he's doing the like Wicked Witch of the West in the, Lord of, in the Wizard of Oz, right? Ah, I'm melting, right? So he's, he's, he's sinking and he says, Lord, save me. And uh, Jesus immediately reached out his hand. By the grace of God, man, even despite the lack of faith, Jesus still has the grace to catch us, doesn't he? Church, come on. Somebody give a testimony on that. He's still, he's still, re- despite our idiocy, he reaches out his hand immediately. And he takes hold of Peter and says to him, oh, you of little faith, why, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind, boom, ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So let me give you a few points here. I don't know if any of you take notes. You don't have to. You can just listen. But why why do we drown? We drown simply this. It's on the screen because we're focused on the wrong things. Peter was focused on the wind. He was focused on the waves. He was focused on the boat. He was focused on his life. Last week, I was focused on the slab leak. My daughter's phone blowing up. Last week, I was focused on my car dying and going to the super dealer and dealing with some, you know, really intelligent person on the line at T-Mobile for an hour and a half that couldn't tell me one single thing I didn't know already after I told them a thousand times, please, I understand what you're talking about. Stop repeating yourself. And they, st- they kept talking. Anyway, I went on a side tangent. But you understand, you guys, you're focused on the wrong things. Are you focused on the wrong things in life? Does that happen in your life? That's why we drown. How do we drown? Peter was actually walking on water. He had his eyes on Jesus, and he took them off Jesus. And he started to sink. He started to drown. We're focused on the wrong things. Um, I got four answers to not drowning. Four answers, and I'll try and go quick here, get you through this. Number one, the answer to not drowning is know who's in your boat. You got to know who's in your boat. Do you guys remember that first story, the first time they were in the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was asleep? You remember this? What did they wake him up and yell at him in his face? What did they say? Jesus, save us. We are perishing. We're going to die. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that God sent his son from heaven for the mission to save the world and to die for the sins of humanity? Do you think it was going down that day because Jesus was taking a nap in the boat and they were all going to sink and die together? Does that seem silly to anyone else in here? It seems really silly to me, but that's only because I know it. If I was in the moment, I would think, oh, I'm going to die too. Do you, think, do you think God brought you all this way to let you end it here? Do you, look, if you're not dead, God's not done. God's going to start moving in your life, and you don't even know what he has in store for you. In fact, it's beyond your possible comprehension. And if you're sinking or if you're drowning or if you're struggling or if you're seeking or if you're searching, 
God has a plan in your life. But you, for, you can't forget who's in your boat. You can't forget that he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll be with you till the end. I'm your God. I'm not giving up on you. You know that? You got to know who's in your boat. I love uh, Isaiah 41.10. It says, do not be afraid for I am with you. Do not be discouraged. I am your God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Amen. I could tell a story right now, or I should move on. All right, quickly. So, when I was in the band, this is my favorite story, and this is the story I'll, I'll bet you I've told before for a few of you. Sorry about that. When I was in the band, uh, we played basically churches everywhere, and we were pretty big in the United States. We were playing in front of like 3,000 people all the time and all kinds of stuff like that, and so... We got offered to play over in Europe, all over Europe, and we played this show in Germany. First time we went overseas. And we, have I told this story? Who's heard this? Okay, good, 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 good. Hey, 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 all right. So I mean, this is my favorite story of the whole band. And so we're in this, we're in this, uh, we don't know where we're playing or what, and so we see flyers all over town that just says USA Ska. It didn't even say the name of our band. It just said USA Ska. And so I guess it's like a big Ska scene over there, and like tons of people came out for it. It was in this bar. And again, we were used to playing churches, so now it's in this huge bar, uh, a room very similar to this without the sound booth, huge floor in the middle, and then a big bar in the back, and everybody's drinking and all this stuff. And so we're in this bar playing like, oh gosh, how's this going to be? We start to see the crowd come in. It's a rough crowd. I'm telling you, there were Nazi skinheads in the crowd, gangs, gangs of Nazi skinheads. We're just like, oh my gosh, what have we gotten ourselves into? We're little idiot Christian kids that like, you know, play music in churches, and we're sitting here playing in a bar with these gangs. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, how's this going to be? I think they're going to murder us. And so we start playing music, and sure enough, the place goes off. I mean, it was like one of the best concerts we've ever had. The place is just bouncing and jumping, and there's a huge mosh pit in the middle. People are circling. I mean, it was going off. It was like after every song, they're screaming their lungs out. I mean, they, it was the best response we've ever gotten. And the way the Supertones work, every time we've ever played a concert, we always build it up about eight or nine songs, and we bring it to the point where I come out from behind the drums and I preach the gospel. I give people a chance to receive and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's the way we design our set. That's the mission of our band. So that point came and I got out from behind my drums and I said, okay, how's everybody in Germany doing tonight? And they're all, yeah. And I said, we love you guys. And we love you, man. And they're holding like beer bottles in their hand and like, you know, I mean, just as scary as you can imagine. They say, we love you, man. And I said, okay, cool. Well, we just want to let you know we're a band from the United States and uh, in Southern California. And we came all the way from across the world to tell you one thing and one thing only. And that's to let you know that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. The second I said that, the whole place just went silent. Crickets, tumbleweeds blowing by. I mean, it was like, it was like totally silent. And I was scared. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is bad. And um, I think... Some of them in the crowd might have been Christians because a bunch of them were raising their hands and one of their fingers were pointing towards heaven. So I, that must mean they're Christians, right? Some of you didn't get that. They were flipping me off. Okay. And so they're like totally hostile. And this, this big, huge skinhead guy right in the middle of the crowd. I mean, he was for sure their leader or something. He had like those thin suspenders on, full shaved head, tattoos all over his face and neck and he had those big military boots and and he just yells he has a beer bottle in his hand and he says shut up and effing play 
yelling at me. And I'm like, whoa. Like, my life is threatened right now. Like, and, and everything in me was just like, I should, I should go back and play drums. This isn't our scene. This isn't our country. This isn't our crowd. Everything in me was like, yeah, that's a good idea. I should go back. They, I should go back and play songs. And as I'm starting to turn around, the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart and said, Jason, stay right here. I'm like, oh, but why, God, why? <laughs> and I turned around, and they're still yelling at me, and they're still flipping me off. And I said, uh, hey, hold on, everybody, hold on. And I said, I said, listen, and I, I said something that was not of me. I've never thought something like this before. I've never said something so stupid out of my mouth before. And I just said to them, I said, hey, it, uh, we have three or four more songs to play still. If you guys give me one minute to talk right now and you listen, I'll go back and we'll play those three or four songs. But if you don't listen to me or give me a minute to speak, I'm, we're done and we're not going to play any more music. You guys are laughing. I pooed my pants. I'm telling you, like, it was the scariest moment. I said, what did I say? They're going to throw beer bottles at my head right now. I'm going to go out as a martyr. Like, I'm, my wife's at home. She's not going to see me ever again. This is a bad idea. Why did I say that? Why am I so stupid? And the room got silent, and the big skinhead right in the middle turned around to all of his buddies, and he said, shut up and let the effing preacher speak. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, so I shared with him. I said, all right, listen, you guys, I, I got to tell you, you can be mad at God. You can flip me off. You can flip off God. You can, you can tell God you don't believe in him. You can run from him. You can hide from him. But I'm telling you right now, there's nothing, 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 nothing that can change the fact of how much God loves you and that he created you to know him, to worship him, to live for him. And, uh, you know, you can, you can say you don't want to hear it. You can say you don't believe it, but God still loves you. And he created you for that purpose. He's created you to know him. And if you just take that step where you say, like, God, I, I give you my life. He'll come in. He'll make the old new. He'll take anything you've ever done that's wrong, and he'll forgive you. That's our God. That's the grace of God. That's Jesus Christ, how much he loves you, how much he's there for you. And, and I said, you know, hey, we're going to play some more songs, but afterwards, we're here to talk. And if any of you want to talk, like, we would love to be there for you, and we can pray with you. Anything like that. And afterwards, people came up and talked to us for quite a while. Some incredible conversations. I mean, we just put the seeds out that night and gave people a chance. They said, well, we're going to go back and play a song. And so I turned around, and I thought to myself, like I was an out-of-body out experience. I thought, like, I'm, maybe someone's still going to throw a beer bottle at my head when I head back to the drums. I didn't know. I was freaked out. And I go back, and I look at what song we were playing next on the set list. And the song that we were playing was happens to be what has now become my favorite Superdome song of all time, and it's this song called Who Can Be Against Me. And here I was standing in front of that crowd thinking I could die, and I remembered right before I turned away, I remembered who was in my boat. I remember the Lord is for me. And so in that song, it's, the song says, if my God is for me, who can be against me? And then the whole crowd shouts, no one like that like so it's like a, a chorus of repeated repeating repeating who can be against me who can be against me no one no and i'm sitting back at the drums and i have tears flowing down my face thinking man god is in my boat he's not gonna let me drown he's not gonna forsake me 
Amen? Amen. Number two, the answer to not drowning is know who's in charge. You got to know who's in charge. Who do you really think is in charge of this universe? Who, who, who set the solar systems in place and gives the sun its heat and makes the earth spin at the perfect orbit and, 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 and the perfect axis and keeps us at just the right distance so we don't freeze up and so we don't overheat? I mean, he's, he's in charge of everything. He gives the giraffe its really long neck, doesn't he? <laughs> He gives an elf in its trunk. He gives an ant the ability to work and make colonies. And I mean, this is God. Who do you think's in charge? And if you're like me, you're a control freak. And you always want to know the plan. You always want to know what's next. You always want to be in charge. And God's like, look, if you think you're going to be in charge, like if you're trying to walk on water like Peter, understand that Jesus was always the one in charge. It wasn't Peter that was in charge. Jesus, Jesus is in charge of the storm. He speaks to the storm. Be still. It's still. You're going through a trial right now and you feel like it may never end? He's got you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. You got to know who's in charge. The third one is almost identical. You got to know who's in control. If you know who's in charge, then you know who's in control of everything. Listen to this Psalm 1830. It says that God's ways are perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He's in control of everything. He's got you. He's in charge. He's in control. You got to know who's in your boat. And lastly, number four, and my favorite one of all, you got to know who's in you. Do you know the mystery of the gospel throughout, um, throughout the epistles and stuff? They always talk about what is this mystery of the gospel? And it's the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. You don't have to say, Jesus, come join me at some point. Like, hey, we're going to have this meal. Jesus, come be a part of my meal. It's like, wait a second. Do you not know that the Spirit of God, Romans 8, 11, my favorite verse in the whole Bible, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Is that awesome? I mean, if you are, feel like you're drowning and you know who's in and you know who's in charge, stop and say, do I know me? Whoa, sorry, this is crazy. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what happened, guys. Now it's really bad, isn't it? Okay, are we good? We good? Okay. It's touching my mouth. This is going to weird me out. I'm going to go right here. Is that okay, guys? Finish here. Okay. So we got to know. It's on. You got to know who's in you. You got to know who's in you at all times, knowing that Christ is the hope of glory. Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. You got resurrection power, people in you. Know that he's in you. Um, the answer to all this is make Jesus number one. Make Jesus number one. Know that know who you are, know whose you are. I'll tell one final story, and then uh, I'll call the worship team forward. But um, I have a son. I have three daughters and a son. And when my son was really young, I raised them on Star Wars. Do you guys like Star Wars? Some of you? Okay, some of you are like, I don't care about it at all. That's fine. I love Star Wars, and uh, my son was in the other room. He's about five years old at the time, and he was... My wife and I were in the kitchen. So he's across the house and he starts screaming. Like, you know, as parents, you know, there's like the fake scream to try and get your sisters in trouble. And then there's the real scream like, oh, he lost an arm, right? 
it was that kind of scream. It was like, oh my gosh, he for sure, like he probably knocked his head on the corner of a coffee table or something like bad, like screaming. So he comes in and we're like, oh Shane, are you okay? And we're trying to like see if he's okay. And my wife and I are sitting right next to each other. And I'm saying, Shane, how are you? What's, what's wrong? And we're looking, we're checking for blood and pouring out of his ears or something. Nothing, no blood, no problem. He's, he's hysterical and he's like, <laughs> and he just can't keep in control of himself and he won't calm down. And I'm like, Shane, tell me what's happening. Where are you? hurt and he starts like he has like snot bubbles coming out and he's like he's like sissies sissies yeah your sisters what about it Shane and he says sissies they they called me they called me Jar Jar Binks just now <laughs> which if you don't know Star Wars Jar Jar Binks is the worst Star Wars character of all time the worst character ever created it practically ruined Star Wars Jar Jar Binks is goofy silly irrelevant it's uh, I've trained my children to hate Jar Jar Binks and so so um anyway he said that and I had to try to keep a straight face and I'm like oh, okay Shane and and is that says yeah they call me Jar Jar Binks like that's the biggest insult he could have ever heard in his whole life and his sisters called him Jar Jar Binks, and I said, so Shane, are you Jar Jar Binks? He's like, no. <laughs> and I said, well, who are you then, Shane? And he's like, I'm Boba Fett, Dad. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, you are, Shane. And then I was like, well, let's go a little further with this. I said, yeah, and who else are you, Shane? And he says, I'm a Carson. I said, yeah. And what does that mean, Shane, that you're a Carson? That's my last name, if none of you know that. Okay. What does that mean that you're a Carson? And he says, it means that I have a family that loves me. I said, yeah, buddy. What else does it mean? He says, it means I have a mom and dad and parents that will always be there for me. I said, that's right. All right, Shane, so you're not Jar Jar Binks. You're Boba Fett. And you're also a Carson. What else are you, Shane? And my five-year-old son says, I'm a Christian. I said, that's right, buddy. And what does that mean? And Shane says, it means that God loves me. It means that Jesus died for my sins on the cross, five years old, said this. It means that he'll never leave me or forsake me. I said, yeah, buddy, that's exactly right. So don't let anyone tell you that you're Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> I, he remembered who he was. He also remembered who he wasn't. But most importantly, he remembered whose he was. If you feel like you're drowning, people, remember who you are. And remember whose you are. And if you make Jesus number one, you're going to be okay. And you got to remember who's in your boat. You know the ship's not going down. Jesus is with you. He's never going to leave you or forsake. You got to know who's in control and who's in charge. And remember who's in you. Worship team, come on forward. It's important. No, 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 no. Let's, uh, praise God. Thank you. So, thank you. But all glory to God. And remember who's in you. And even as we close here, saying what a beautiful name it is. Is that the song we're singing? It is. What, 
the name of Jesus. It's, it's all about him. If you make him number one, you just keep your eyes on Christ. Like, you're not going to drown. Peter took his eyes off Christ. What area are you taking your eyes off Christ in life? Are you taking your eyes off Christ in any area? Is, there, is, is, is it time to refocus? Is it time to put them back on Jesus? We can close with this last song here and say what a beautiful name it is and how great he is. I mean, you're going to communion right now. Communion. Again, when I got saved, by the way, at Forest Home 32 years ago, 32 years ago I got saved at Forest Home in Mears Lodge. And do you know, I just went back for the first time ever to speak for a youth camp. And they have this new amphitheater that's epic. And it rained the morning of the salvation message. Guess where they put us in? Because it was raining. Mears Lodge. So I gave the salvation message 32 years later that I got saved and I told these kids, told 350 junior hires, I said, I walked to the back of the room right against the glass. It was a room very shaped almost exactly like this. I walked back, right back there where that recliner is and I said, I got saved sitting right here in this place. And a and hundred students gave their life to Christ that night for the first time. And, and praise God for that. It's all about the blood. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he's done for us. If we just keep our eyes on him, he's going to see us through. You're not going to drown. You're going to be all right. Communion is that place. After I got saved that night, 32 years ago, I remember for the first time ever, I held communion in my hand and I said, wow, this is Christ dying for me. This is my salvation. It's not crackers and grape juice, which I had thought for the past 14 years of my life. Every time I went to church, my mom drug us to church. I thought, oh, cool, crackers and grape juice. But when I held communion that night and every time since, I remember that the bread represents the body of Christ broken for a sinner like me. I remember that the juice represents the blood of the new covenant shed for the mission of sin, that all sin can be covered and taken care of. And when I hold it in my hand now, I remember the freedom that I have in Christ. And I'm just in awe. And I keep my eyes on Jesus and what he's done. So as you take communion today, church, be blessed. Be blessed for what God has done in your life. Be blessed for what God has done for this world. And keep your eyes on Jesus. He loves you. So we're going to sing a song. By the way, Joe, incredible job leading us in worship today, man. Thank you so much. Don't you guys love Joe and the team? Amen. I'm so blessed by it. So we're going to receive this right now. Let's pray. And man, let this be a holy moment where you grab some communion. You can head back to your own seat and just thank God for what you're holding in your hand before you take it. Confess your sins. Realize that they're already covered. But confess them to acknowledge before a holy God that, hey, God, I belong to you. And I'm, I'm serious about this. I know the cross wasn't done for just a weak moment. It's done for the, all my sins, everything I've do, ever done. And thank him for it. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this incredible gift. We thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for the body. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for a chance to remember that our salvation is because of you and how you've saved us. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.